this past week when news came that we were in the process and had begun the process of bombing Iraq, local news crew showed up at our church. I violated a principle that I try to live by, that is I never like to talk to the news because they never say all of what you say gets edited. It never comes across like you want it to come across. You know, I said the reason we have war is because sin is in the world. And of course, that never got on the air. But in the process of that, violating that principle as I did, the Lord found a way to humble me. There on the screen, I found out my name was Bob Cat. I don't have a B in my name anywhere. My wife's name is not Allie. I don't have a son named Stray. I don't have a son named Tom. See, it was me, but it wasn't me because they had painted something up there that didn't say who I was. When I think about the Christian life, I think that a lot of what the world sees is not really Christianity. What the world sees is a caricature of Christianity and not the real thing. Acts 11.26, the last part of that verse says, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It seemed that in looking at their lives that the only word to describe them was Christian, little Christ, like Jesus, like Christ. And yet I look at a lot of what people say is Christianity and I don't find it in the New Testament. In fact, sometimes in witnessing to people, they'll say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. But by their actions and their attitudes, when I compare it to what God's Word says, I have to say that's not Christianity. And I believe that the reason people reject Christianity in America today is not because they're rejecting Christianity. They're rejecting a caricature of the real thing. They haven't seen Christianity in most believers. They have seen a figment of it. They've seen a a slight image of it maybe at times, but in day-to-day living in the workplace and in the community, they have not seen Christianity. So what I want to do this morning is I want to define the concepts of Christianity. Because if you're going to understand what a Christian is and understand what Christianity is and understand spirituality, then you've got to understand what it's not. There are some things that it is and there are some things that it's not. And if a person is in this room this morning and you've rejected Christianity, I want to submit to you, you may have rejected a caricature of Christianity and not Christianity. So if you walk out of here this morning and reject Christianity, I want you to know what you're rejecting. Not somebody's interpretation of it, not some backslider's view of what Christianity is, but what God's Word says Christianity is. There are several characteristics and we'll try to get through them this morning. Number one, Christianity is not a crisis, but a process. Christianity is not a crisis, but a process. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn, if you would, to Luke 14. Luke 14. 
Yes, it is a crisis. There is in many lives a Damascus Road experience. But in the majority of people who have been raised in the church, it is an outgrowth of the planted seed and the watering in Bible study and in church. And that person grows into their relationship with the Lord and they can't look back and say, I used to be a drug addict or I I used to be a prostitute or I used to be this. And, And we sometimes think that if everybody doesn't have a Damascus Road experience, they haven't been saved. My friend, I know some of the godliest people in this world that can't tell you what night it was they were saved. But they're saved. Because they know Jesus Christ in a personal way. There was a moment when they passed from death unto life and their life has been a life of growth. Yes, it's been spiritual highs, but their life is not judged by the spiritual highs and by the crisis events. There's a distinguishing between cause and effect. Jesus is talking to multitudes who are following Him in Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. And He says, Now great multitudes were going along with Him. And He turned and said to them, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. Whosoever does not carry his own cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel whether he is strong enough with 10,000 to encounter one coming against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. One of the things that you and I need to understand is that God does not cater to our flesh. You see, our flesh wants Christianity to come in a crisis moment and then it's over with. We don't want to go through the process. As long as there's a carnival atmosphere, as long as there's some rah-rah, as long as we don't have to discipline ourselves or pay any price, that's great. Our flesh just wants to get it over with and then somehow enter into heaven without any cost on our part, without any discipline, without any growth or any pruning. And yet we know that if a fruit tree is to bear fruit, it has to be pruned. Why? So it'll bear more fruit. And you meet Christians all over this country who say they hate the pruning process. I mean, they start getting pruned and the Lord starts working on them and they go, oh God, what is happening to me? And if they would listen, they would hear God answering them saying, I'm answering your prayer. You asked me to make you like Jesus and I'm taking those things out of you that don't look like Jesus. God is in the process of working in our lives and that process never ends. It is a part of the divine curriculum. And you and I never graduate from the school of discipleship as long as we live. We are ever becoming like Christ. Yes, there is a crisis. Yes, there is a moment when somebody's saved. But if that crisis does not produce a process, you've got to question the crisis. 
There must be the process. Secondly, the Christian life is not based on knowledge, but obedience. Christian life is not based on knowledge, but obedience. It is not enough to write in the margin of your Bible or to write in a notebook. You've got to let God write it on your heart. It is not based on knowledge, but obedience. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 4, verse 17. James 4, verse 17. James 4, 17 alone, just by itself, if you didn't have any other verse in the Bible, <clears throat> would wipe out most believers. I mean, it would destroy most people who call themselves believers. James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is what? Sin. To know what's right to do and not do it is sin. You see, the opposite of ignorance in the spiritual realm is not knowledge. The opposite of ignorance in the spiritual realm is obedience. Now, you can't do until you know. But James says there is a possibility of knowing and not doing. And the truth of the matter is, you don't know anything until you do it. It is not just getting it up in our head. It is not thy word have I hid in my mind that I might impress my friends. It is thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. God wants us to know and to do, and if we don't do it, if we don't do what God has told us to do in the Word, that's disobedience, it's sin. Now, God will forgive your sin this morning, but He will not forgive your excuses. God doesn't forgive excuses. God forgives sin. And you and I need to understand that one of the greatest problems among believers today with every kind of how-to book in the world, with all the seminars and the conferences and the notebooks and the tapes and everything else we've got, the greatest problem we have in Christianity in America today is that we are trying to impress God with how much we know. And in the process, God is trying to impress us with how little like Jesus we are. Why should God be impressed with what we know when everything we know has been revealed by Him and we wouldn't know it if it hadn't been revealed by Him? You see, it is time that the church quit trying to impress the world with how much it knows and start trying to tell the world how much it is like Jesus. It is a process and it is also obedience. It is obedience to God. It's not just knowing the facts of the Word. The Pharisees knew the facts. They had the whole first five books of the Bible memorized. It is knowing the author. It is knowing the living Word. It is the written Word and the living Word coming together in your life and producing the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is. That's what spirituality is. That's what being a Christian is all about. Thirdly, the Christian life is not external. It is internal. Turn, if you would, to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, Paul lists there the works of the flesh. Now, not many of us could spout off the works of the flesh, but we're real good about the fruit of the Spirit. You can view the fruit of the Spirit in a number of ways, but basically, it's one fruit with nine flavors. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is in essence a two-verse biography of the life of Christ. If you want to know what Christianity will do for you, if you want to test Christianity, then see if the fruit of the Spirit is evident in a person's life. 
for the fruit of the Spirit, the outgrowing of the Spirit of God being planted in our lives at the point of salvation, the Spirit indwelling us and filling us at the point of salvation, the fruit of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now note if you, if you would at verses 19 and following because there he talks about, he's writing to believers and he talks about the works of the flesh. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the stuff that comes right off the assembly line of our flesh. The works of the flesh, the byproducts, the natural results of the flesh are these things that he mentions. It comes right off the assembly line. God is trying to get our attention and let us know that the Christian life is not external, it's internal. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We need to quit trying to strap on the external and start letting the internal live out through the external. Quit trying to place it on us and let it get in us and come out of us. Listen, nobody who has the fruit of the Spirit has any trouble exhibiting that. It's just an outgrowth. It just happens. The works of the flesh... And you can look at that list of the works of the flesh and you can find churches this morning that have some of that stuff going. Strife, jealousy, envy, outbursts of anger. My soul, that's going on in a lot of churches today. i never forget it. Faith Week last year. Tuesday night, Brother Manley was going to be speaking. And uh, that service hadn't quite been prayed through like it should have been. And uh, some things happened that were inappropriate at that moment. And it got a little out of hand. And it was a heaviness, uncertainty. Uh, I personally had fear about it. And I remember that Manley never said anything to the people who did it. He just got up and folded his hands, leaned over into the microphone and said, not everything that happens in the house of God is in God. You know, there's an enormous amount of truth in that just because it has God's name on it, just because it's bannered under Christianity, just because somebody says, I'm a Christian, doesn't mean that God's in that. There are a lot of folks who are living in the works of the flesh, such things as these, and doing it in the name of God. Not everything that happens in the name of God is of God. It first of all begins with the internal. And yet there are people who have made themselves self-appointed fruit inspectors. Always going around to see if they can figure out if you've got the fruit of the Spirit or not. Friend, I've discovered something about my life. When I, God is doing what He wants to do in my life, I don't have much time checking out the fruit of other people. There's a tree. In fact, I was told uh, during the Sunday school hour, it is the city street tree of Albany. Uh, it's the live oak tree. There's an interesting characteristic about a live oak tree. They're very common in the southwest. We had a number of them in our yard in Ada. And one of the characteristics is the leaves never fall off until new leaves push them out. 
they stay there and they stay on the tree, and, but they die, but they never just fall off and lay there on the ground until new life, the sap in the spring comes up through the tree and new life forces the old leaf off and a new leaf comes out. You know what happens to us? We spend all our time trying to pick the old leaves off people's lives when if we just get them to let the spiritual sap start flowing, the leaves, old leaves would fall off and the new leaf, the new life in Christ would be evident to all. Just let the spiritual sap flow. Just let the Holy Spirit get going and moving in your life. And all that junk will fall off by itself. You don't need to go around picking it off. It'll fall off when it's time. Before. The Christian life is not automatic. It's cultivated. The Christian life is not automatic. It's cultivated. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. I've had people argue with me about this statement. You and I are as spiritual as we want to be today. Right now, in your life, you're exactly where you want to be spiritually. You say, well, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're right where you want to be. I have never met a person who walked up to me and said, oh, pastor, I couldn't help it. I didn't want to be spiritual, but I woke up this morning and here I was. A giant, a man of God. I didn't intend it. I didn't plan it. In fact, I tried to resist it. I didn't care anything about being spiritual, but it just kind of, I mean, I went to bed and the alarm went off and I woke up and all of a sudden there was a glow about me. I kind of looked like Moses coming off that mountain after seeing the burning bush. People had to hide their faces from me because the glory of the Lord was on my life so much that they just couldn't even imagine being in my presence. And I didn't intend for any of that to happen. Friends, nobody gets spiritual automatically. You can be filled with the Spirit in a moment. But a baby Christian can be filled with the Spirit. Spirituality has to be cultivated and developed in our lives. And so Paul comes and he says in verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly, after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now listen. If it was possible for the Apostle Paul to feel that he could be disqualified, where does that put you and I? Paul said, I don't run without a name. I have a goal, I have a track, I have a lane in which I'm running. And I don't want to get to the point at the end of my life where I am disqualified, that I violated the way God wanted me to run. He cultivated a discipline in his life. There are a lot of showtime Christians it's like there are a lot of Showtime athletes. I watched part of the Senior Bowl yesterday, and they talk about, well, this guy's going to be an eighth-round draft pick, and this guy's going to be a first-round draft pick. i tell you what's going to make the difference. It doesn't matter whether they go in, in the first round or the last round. It's going to make the difference who wants it the most. Because who wants it the most sometimes takes precedent over talent. There are a lot of talented guys that never made it in pro athletics. You know why? They didn't want to pay the price. They just wanted to show up for Showtime. But you see, the guy who makes it 
is the guy who gets his knee blown out and he sits there in that weight room and he sweats and he strains and he works and he agonizes to rebuild that thing because there's a price he's paying because he has an ultimate goal. There's something that he's doing and there's discipline. Not when the crowd's around, not when the applause, when the newspaper reporters are gone. He's there and he's running and he's lifting weights and he's disciplining his body. Why? Because he's got a goal in mind. There's a new movie that will start this week here in one of the local theaters. We as Christians are notorious for telling people what they ought not to do and not giving them any alternative. So I'm going to give you an alternative this week. It's called The Pistol. It is the story, the early years of Pistol Pete Maravich. I saw it last week in a preview, and it is an incredible movie. Not one word of profanity in it. I just don't know how anybody's going to enjoy it. No nudity. Nobody gets shot. No bodies are maimed. I mean, it's just a family movie. In fact, it's so family that no major studio would pick it up because they said nobody wants to see those kind of movies anymore. Well, now, Christian community, let me encourage you to do something. Don't gripe about R and NC-17 movies if you don't go see the good ones that are worth going to see. Put some feet to your words and see something that's good for the family to see. And I saw it and it reminded me of reading Pete's book and some of the things that he said after he became a believer. Do you know that by the time he was in the 8th grade he had practiced basketball 10,000 hours of his life? In the rain, in the cold, up and down the streets, dribbling a basketball while riding a bicycle, dribbling a basketball outside the window of his dad's car, dribbling a basketball in a movie theater, doing fingertip drills, carrying a basketball with him to class. Everywhere he went, you saw Pete Maravich with a basketball. Why? He had a goal in mind. To be the best. You know what the problem with Christians is? We've got a lifelong goal to have a lifelong goal. And we die full of good intentions. Our motto is, tomorrow we're going to get organized. I mean, you know, we're going to get around to it, but the problem is most of us will end up disqualified and castaways because we do not understand what Paul said, nor do we understand what the psalmist said when he says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee, O God. We don't know that kind of pursuit after God. We don't understand fully in our society of easy believism what Jesus meant when He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You die full of good intentions. One day we're going to get around to it. The Christian life is not automatic. It's cultivated. Listen, friend, you don't have to twist God's arm for you to become a spiritual giant. There's nothing God's given anybody in this world that's not available to you if you'll be available to God. If you just allow Him to cultivate it, so that brings us to number five. The Christian life is not a list of rules, it's a life relationship. It is not a list of rules, it is a life relationship. Turn, if you would, to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty, In that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I in you. I guess one of the greatest dangers of the Christian life is that it so easily deteriorates to rituals and rules and tradition. Hey, the greatest thing God could do for the church in America is to so put us in a crisis that we'd chuck the rules, chuck the rituals, and chuck the traditions and find out who Jesus really is. 
I'm convinced the reason we can't reach any more lost people than we do is because they can't get by the list of rules that we have put in our foyers and outside our buildings that says if you don't look like this, act like this, talk like this, dress like this, have this color skin, smell like this, you can't be in our building. My friend, that's not New Testament. You may can justify it with pious religion, but you can't justify it in the New Testament. Religion so much deteriorates into legalism and license and are one extreme or the other, and every church has got their list of rules. Some churches have got the filthy five. Others have got the nasty nine. Some of them have got the dirty dozen. And they change. You know, used to be card playing, bridge. All man preachers would get up in the 50s and preach against bridge, and women were going to hell for playing bridge. I tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says those women are more likely to go to hell for running their mouths and gossiping than they are for playing bridge. Wearing pants. Boy, what a rule. I remember what my wife said when we moved to Kansas City and it was 22 degrees below zero. She said, pants or no pants, I'm going warm tonight. <laughs> Rules. Regulations. We come up with all kind of things. Now, there are some churches that preach against fingernail polish. Boy, now that's what Jesus died for, so women wouldn't wear fingernail polish. Friends, I think the cross is bigger than those kind of things. Christianity is not a list of rules. It is a relationship. You ever been in a church that didn't like dominoes? I'm not talking about pizza. I'm talking about, I'm talking about dominoes. Silly stuff. Cultural stuff. What's wrong and taboo in one part of the country is not taboo in another part of the country. And People walk around. Lost people move from one state to another and they get confused. Well, I thought that was Christianity. No, that's not Christianity. This is Christianity over here. You don't do that. Well, we can do it over here. That doesn't make any difference. You cross the Mississippi River, son. It ain't like that over here. When will we tell the lost world that it's not rules, it's a relationship? Friend, you can keep every rule that every Pharisee can think of on this side of the kingdom of God and go to hell. But if you do not have a life relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't make it. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That being justified by not playing dominoes, by not playing cards, and by not wearing pants, and by not going to these things, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Is that what it says? Justified by what? His what? His grace. Did He say man's rules in there? He said, His grace. My friends, listen. Grace will keep you out of more than rules will ever keep you out of. When you get a picture of what Jesus did for you on the cross, brother, nobody has to put a set of rules up for you because when you understand what Christ did for you, your desire is to be holy as He is holy. Your desire is to walk with Him and it is to develop a relationship with Him. And rules are a caricature of the real thing. 
Jesus had problems with the Pharisees the whole time He was on earth because they kept setting up rules. They didn't want Him to heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus was more concerned about people than He was keeping the Pharisees' rules. Now friends, if you're going to be like Jesus, you've got to be more concerned about people than keeping rules. Relationship. It is a holy relationship. When my wife and I got married. We did not sit down and say, now, here are the rules of this household. Oh, it was a relationship. The preacher didn't ask us if I promised to do this and do that and do that. He, he asked me everything I promised to do. He asked me, did I promise to maintain the relationship? There are no rules in our kitchen that says my wife has to make the beds or she has to do this or she has to do that. Why? Because it's a relationship. I love her whether she makes the beds or not. You see, there's nothing in my house that says I've got to run the vacuum cleaner. But I kind of like to do it. One thing, I can talk to myself and nobody can hear me. And I can't hear the phone ring. And it's just, I don't know, men, you know, we're so power oriented. It's kind of like thinking about all those little dust mites that are down in that carpet and you're sucking them up in there and taking it away from them. It's just something about it. You know, I don't do this every meal, but a lot of times I like to wash dishes. I mean, God's saying, I wish you'd just shut up right now. I mean, sometimes I, you know, I enjoy washing dishes. And my wife didn't say, you better wash the dishes. And I don't say to her, you better clean the house. You know why? Because our concern is for the mutual good of that home and nobody has to set down rules for us to build the mutual good of that home. Built on relationship. Our discipline, our interaction of our children, everything we do has to be built on a relationship. And if you want to grow, friends, get out of the rule business and get in the relationship business. You don't have to tell anybody that's in love with Jesus to do anything Jesus is telling for i got a feeling some folks are going to go to heaven and they're going to get to the corner of Hallelujah Boulevard and Praise Avenue and there's not going to be a stop sign there and they're going to get mad and go try to tell God how to run heaven. Now Lord, there's just too many people going down this road. You need to put up a sign right here. They're going to want to organize heaven. Listen, heaven is as organized as God wants it to be. But the Word tells me that in heaven there is praising of God and there's no rule on the gate that says you've got to praise God when you come here. Friends, you get to heaven, you want to praise God. I ought to get a little practice on it while we're down here. Number six, the Christian life is not to be endured, but enjoyed. Oh, my soul. Romans chapter five. Christian life is not to be endured, but enjoyed. Boy, you'd never know that by watching some Christians. They look like the cover of the book of Lamentations. Hey, brother, how you doing today? Oh, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. Well, what are you doing under there? If you've ever been to the prison where they tied Paul up in Rome, you know that the street sewage and water runs down into that prison. It is a moldy, musty, dark, cavernous area. Slime and mildew there. Rats running around as long as your arm. Paul sitting in that prison, facing getting his head cut off. 
said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Christian life is not to be endured, it is to be enjoyed. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Whoo, praise the Lord. We exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Let's just stop right there. The only problem is Paul kept writing. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given us. You ever met this Christian? I'm so excited. And I just can't hide it. I'm about to lose control. And I think I like it. I want to tell you the difference that Jesus has made in me. I had no joy before I found Christ. And now He has made the whole difference in my life. Everybody out there is falling asleep, getting up and leaving, hoping that the number goes off on the nursery sign. Listen, Christian life is to be enjoyed. I've met some believers that I wanted to beg them not to ever tell anybody they were Christians. Because they were the worst advertisement we had. They endured life they didn't enjoy. It. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Some Christians look like a Maalox moment. I mean, they're kind of like Eastern Airlines, bankrupt and grounded. That's not what the Word tells me. The Word didn't tell me to rejoice and exult in the hope and glory of God, but then I can complain about the trials and tribulations. The Word tells me that the Holy Spirit gives me the capacity in the trials and tribulations to praise God so that there's a difference in my life from the life of the world. And they say, what is it you've got? And we say, Christianity and Christ. And they say, I don't have it. I need that. Too often, we respond like the world. We endure life rather than enjoy it. Now, folks, one of these days I'm going to go to glory. I won't have a good time in glory, but I won't have a good time while I'm here too. I don't think God meant for me to walk around looking like I've been sucking vinegar and lemons all my life. I remember a lady in First Baptist Ada, Larry Thompson, was preaching. This was when he was on staff there as a youth minister. And the waiters leaked the baptistry. And you know, sometimes that happens, and then he just got his feet soaked and his socks were soaked. So he had to come out and preach barefooted. She walked up to him and said, Brother Thompson, I'll have you know there was dignity in this church before you came here. Well, friend, sometimes dignity needs to go out the door. I'm not talking about reverence. I'm talking about dignity. Nobody who's got dignity and dignified can get into heaven because they've never been broken. Friend, if you can't laugh, if you can't cry, if you can't rejoice, and if you can't weep, you haven't pictured Christianity for this lost world. I want the world to know I'm having more fun than 
And I don't have to get drunk. I don't have to use drugs. I don't have to get high. And I don't have to cuss like a sailor to do it. I can have fun without all that stuff. It's to be enjoyed. Lastly, Christian life is not theoretical. It's practical. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yeah, but Paul wrote that. He wasn't married to Attila the Hun. He doesn't know my boss. That is an unconditional statement. I can do all things through Christ. Let me ask you, does your Christianity work at home? Does it work in the office? Does it work at school? Is your Christianity more than a Sunday morning exercise in futility? It is not theoretical. It is practical. It is not vain. It is vital. It's not religion. It's a relationship. It's not some theory and some thing hovering over here and in the cosmos somewhere. It is something that's lived out in our lives. What I want the world to see in my life and what I want the world to see in your life is that you've got the real thing. I want to tell you what, when, when Coca-Cola did away with the real thing the first time, I thought demons had invaded this world. They came up with that vile, humanistic, godless, perverted, New coat, burst in the pit of hell itself. I mean, nobody should have to drink that stuff. I wanted the real thing. I didn't want that new coke. If I wanted new coke, I'd have drunk Pepsi. I wanted the real thing. I wanted that stuff that's got so much sugar in it it rots your teeth as it goes down your mouth. Nobody had it. Boy, you went to the grocery stores and almost before you could even get in the store, all the real stuff was gone. And I found out that Joe T. Garcia's, I was living in Fort Worth, I found out that Joe T. Garcia's had bought up all the six-ounce bottled real Cokes that they were in Fort Worth. They had thousands of them. Well, that was the closest thing to spiritual awakening I'd ever been a part of. And I went to Joe T. Garcia's and they brought that six-ounce Coke down and I tell you, if I believed in speaking in tongues, I'd have done it then. And they put it down there and I drank that thing and I drank it and I drank it. Boy, it was great. Why? Because it's a real thing. And lo, to my surprise, they renamed it. That's Coke Classic. But it's still the real thing. They came back with real Coke. You know why? Because people didn't like the substitute. It was a bomb. It wasn't Coke. They tried to call it Coke. They tried to sell it as Coke. They tried to convince you that you would like it just as much as you like real Coke. But you didn't. And I didn't. And so they came back with the real thing. Why? Because they were smart enough to know that they couldn't fool people. You know what this world wants? He wants a real Christian. Somebody who's not going under the label of Christian, but somebody who is one. Somebody that they can look at, that they can see and watch and observe and get up close to him and say, hmm, I believe that old boy's got the real thing. Not all this stuff I've seen in church, not all this stuff I've seen on TV, but I've watched him at work. I've watched him in his relationship at home. I've watched him in the community. I've watched him all around. And I think he's got the real thing. Let me ask you this morning. You got the real thing? Or are you possessing this morning a caricature of the real thing? You're never going to be satisfied until you get the real thing. That stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Our men are here at the front. 
I'm going to ask that you remain with heads bowed. Our choir is going to sing. Some of you are looking for a church home. This may be where God has led you. God's worked in your heart and confirmed in your life that this is where you need to have your church membership. Some of you have rejected Christianity because you've seen some people who call themselves Christians. I want you this morning to see Jesus. I want you to see the real thing, the person of Jesus Christ and what He can do in your life. And, and don't come and accept a caricature of Christianity. You come and find Christianity as it's revealed in Christ through His Word. Some of you may have been buying into the lies of the caricatures and thinking that if you just did all of that, if you kept the rules, if you just got some knowledge, if you on the outside you looked good, if you wore the facade, you'd be okay. And this morning the Holy Spirit of God has spoken to your heart and you know there needs to be a renewed commitment to following after Christ and without apology.